I, uh, April's a, a, a blessed month in that uh, it's my anniversary to my wife will be 31 years, April 21st. Yeah, amen. And then um, 20 years ago, uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day, which is always funny to me, uh, I became the pastor of the church. Uh, <laughs> so it'll be 20 years uh, Thursday, I think, is April 1st. Yeah, okay. amen. And there's a new anniversary. And that was April 4th of last year. It was defiance to tyranny. And uh, we have succeeded one year in defying that tyranny in Sacramento. Amen. 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 God is good. Jesus Christ is king, not Mussolini. No, no, Mussolini, not king. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Hosanna. Amen? And, and this, is, this is what they were so angry about. Uh, take a look at this picture. That's what we did on April 4th of last year. We, we had 10 chairs. It took us three and a half hours to do communion, and the governor said that that was unacceptable. The church was non-essential, while abortion clinics were at full speed cannabis distributors, liquor stores, but the church was not permitted to take communion. The press came out thinking as though we were dropping a nuclear bomb of a super spreader event, but to the press's credit, they said it was the cleanest place in all of Ventura, and it was. Um, and now as we know the data and we've been watching, and I don't know if you saw that amazing article in uh, the newest paper in the Conejo Valley called The Guardian, but they printed, yeah, clap for that. They printed an article by Genevieve, I can't remember her last name, uh, the idea that when you look at the population increase of the United States of America, and you combine that with the number of deaths in the country, there hasn't been an increase in deaths. They've just moved influenza A, influenza B, pneumonia, heart issues, and they've all called it COVID with the PCR test, and, um, and so we haven't seen an increase in deaths, although folks have died with COVID, uh, very few have died from COVID, and it's just, it's like an accelerant, and, and the, the idea is we, we haven't seen an increase. This, this pandemic, which has ruined our economy, shuttered our businesses, caused the, the abused to be quarantined with their abusers, our children to be out of school for a year is unconscionable and wrong. And I got a call from Kathleen Wilson at the Ventura County Star asking what role I played in um, the recall of some of the supervisors. And I said, uh, candidly, Kathleen, this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> you might find this hard to believe, but there are other people who are just as dissatisfied with their leadership as I am. <laughs> and so... Last year, we opened on Palm Sunday. This year, the anniversary of that date falls on Resurrection Sunday. It's time to resurrect the church and let's just call a quit to the tyranny in Sacramento and start worshiping the Lord. Have a lot to cover. I wanna introduce you to a friend who I, I asked to come and share a few words because he's been a tremendous blessing in my life and then we'll get to the study. But before I introduce him, I just wanted to share with you, I thought it was a great idea um, and I, it's out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Uh, three people in the course of last service came up and said, 
we're new to the church. We'd love to have a meet and greet with you and your wife and get to know you. And uh, so I, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to have a meet and greet. Uh, we'll, we'll do something like on a Sunday night and we'll provide, you know, Domino's pizza or something cheap. I don't, I don't know. I, no. <laughs> but we'll just get a chance to get to know all of the refugees who have come to call this place home. And we're happy you're here. God bless you. And we're going to get to know you. In case you don't know uh, my wife, she is right here in the front row. Stand up, dear, would you? Just let everybody see you. Come on. Michelle is my wife, not my daughter. I got a, a phone call uh, this week, actually a text this week, uh, from Charlie Kirk, and he said, what's your schedule look like for next week? And I said, oh, well, I laid it out, and he said, oh, never mind then, I had something exciting. <laughs> so I, I texted him back, I go, oh, come on, what is it? And he goes, well, I'd, there was one event that I couldn't break, it was a, an evening event on Monday night, and he needed me to be in Florida uh, Tuesday afternoon to meet with pastors and then to meet with more pastors in, well, to meet with pastors in Naples, Florida. So I went online, found a ticket and arranged it and said, I'll, I'll see you there. And he was real excited. And uh, so it requires that I go to dinner Monday night, catch a t- midnight flight and uh, yeah, I'll get there and be like, what are we doing, Charlie? Uh, so I signed up on the Charlie Kirk crazy train and then he texted me this morning saying, okay, great. I'm glad you're coming. Then we're going to go to Sarasota and then we're going to go to Nashville and then we're going to go to Phoenix. <laughs> so, oh, that's, that's great. Can I make it back by Friday for good, good Friday service? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get you back. And so, uh, pray for me. And, and I honestly, I have no idea what we're doing, but I always find that God is in it. And, uh, I know that we're rallying pastors across the country who are in defiance to the tyranny of government authorities that refuse to declare that the church is essential. And these pastors need to be encouraged and we're gonna do that across the country. And I'm so proud of Charlie and I'll join him to do that. The last thing, rumor has it Rob's leaving the church. Not true. I don't know where you got it, why you're spreading it, but you need to shut your big yapper. I'm not leaving the church. I am working with Turning Point. We are doing events across the country. I told you that from day one. One of the reasons why Pastor Rick is co-pastoring is because we're gonna share the pulpit periodically going back and forth. There's gonna be some demands this year as I'm gonna be traveling with Charlie. I'll be out of the pulpit in some cases. But as you have come to realize, Rick is amazing. And sometimes you guys don't want me back and I get it. But uh, I just wanna say, Rick, you're unbelievable. And Saturday nights have been remarkable. and We're blessed by you. And then folks said, well, he bought a place in Phoenix. Yeah, I did. That's because I was renting a place in Phoenix because I'm there all the time and it was a sinkhole and I it just, it was awful. So uh, Michelle and I were looking at each other going, what do we do? And we looked at our house that we had bought. And so we sold that and my wife staged it. She's brilliant. And uh, <laughs> we scored, uh, we sold it and did really well. And then the market's starting to go down again and she got it right at the peak, which she always does. And she's amazing. And I'd, we'd all be broke if it wasn't for her. She learns from her father, who's amazing. He's in the front row and I'm trying to make points. So work with me here. <laughs> um, and then, and so we've got a three-year lease on a place, right? Just a, about a block and a half away from where we live. We're not going anywhere. Uh, the reason why we got that is because my son will stay there. I'm there during the week. I'm here on the weekends, but not all the time. I mean, most of the time I'm here, some of the time I'm there. 
So don't freak out. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I am going to be the pastor of this church till I breathe my last breath, and that's all there is to it. But as all of you know, right now in this season of the nation, we require sacrifice. And listen, I hate traveling. I really do. My wife, when I come home, she says, what do, where do you want to go? I go, I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay in my house. I want, to, I want to go to church. I hate traveling. And I do it because the Lord has called us to do it. And, and I, I, I don't like going through airports. I, I, I don't like the waking up in different hotels. I don't, I don't like it. I never have. Some of you think it's glamorous. It isn't. It's exhausting. And then try keeping up with a 27-year-old when you're 56. (laughs) But this is a season where it's required, and we're all going to make sacrifices because this nation requires that we serve the Lord in whatever capacity he calls us to. And I wanted to say thank you to all of you that you're willing to allow me to do these things and how well and you've embraced Pastor Rick and Tammy and and, and their sacrifice. I mean, they gave up so much to be here and the Lord has provided for us. So folks, let's stay together, stop the rumors, shut your big yapper if that's you. And I don't think it's anyone here or somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> but folks, if we don't stand together, we're gonna fall apart. And we, we need to do what we gotta do to get this, this ship righted and in the right direction. And so that's why we're gonna do what we're gonna do. All right, we're, we're going to get to the word, but I want to I want to share this with you. When you exit, uh, we have these printed, and it was such an amazing article. I was blessed by it. It was written by a friend of mine, Pastor Shane Eidelman. It's called "Why Revival Is America's Only Hope." I was so moved by this, and I'd had the privilege. Shane and I had met a couple years ago at an American Renewal Project event, but we really didn't get connected, get to know each other. Uh, he is one of the busiest men I've ever met in all my life. He's written 10 books. I, every time I sit down to think I'm supposed to read a, uh, write a book, if I take a nap, that goes away. And I, I just, I, I, I can't fathom. And with dyslexia, he's writing books and he's doing great and articles endlessly. He's always writing, always doing podcasts. His last name is an oxymoron, idle man. He's anything but idle. He's remarkable. And then he decided to take a sabbatical and I understand why he needed some rest and asked if I would fill in for him. And I, I don't like to leave the pulpit, especially being another pulpit for the purpose of just speaking, but I wanted to go and encourage this man. And I had a chance to meet his wife, Morgan, five beautiful children. I spoke at his church. It's in the Leona Valley up near Palmdale. Um, it's, you know, like I say, it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from there. Um, it's so hot up there that people in Palmdale go to hell to beat the heat. I fell in love with his church, which, is, which has exploded because Shane, uh, like Godspeak and Westside Christian Fellowship, like Godspeak, has stood in defiance to the governor. And I asked Shane, would you come and be with the congregation? I, I, I want to preach because I haven't been in the pulpit in a couple weeks, but I want you to come. And he said, he'll come. And here he is on Palm Sunday with us. He and Morgan came and we put him up in a hotel. We're loving on him. And I put him, uh, we recorded a live stream last night, and he is uh, coming up to 15 days on a uh, water-only fast. And he is, uh, he, he, that's not something he's bragging about. I could see it, because when we sat down at lunch, he's the only one who didn't eat, and I figured it out. Because I'm smart that way. Ow. And so, uh, when we sat down on the live stream, I was moved by this idea, especially from his article, that 
revival and an awakening, and he, like myself, is a big fan of a writer called J. Edwin Orr, who was a minister who was uh, the foremost historian on, uh, historian on revival. He had three doctorate degrees. And as we began to talk on the live stream, I thought, this man has some amazing insights. I've been so blessed by him. And I wanted him to come and share a little bit. And so would you welcome my dear friend, Shane Eidelman. Pastor Shane, come on up, buddy. I'm, I'm gonna stand here in case he faints. Yes, please do. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know, from the first service, guys put so much on my heart, but you do need to know something. Uh, fasting isn't to be super spiritual, it's to be super broken. Our nation has cancer. Spiritual cancer, we're at stage four. There is no remedy. Legislation won't fix it. I'm all for godly legislation. What we need is a mighty move of God's spirit. We need an awakening that rocks us to our core. We sing the songs, there's a new generation coming, bring revival. The Lord wants to know, will I find you on your knees? Will I find you seeking me? And there's a cost to pay. There's a cost to pay. I love Isaiah 57 where Isaiah is talking about the Lord speaking. He says, I am, I am high and lifted up. My name is holy. I dwell in a holy place. I dwell in eternity, but I also dwell with those with a broken and contrite heart. And he goes on to say, I will revive the humble. I will revive the broken. And there's a cost to that brokenness. There's a cost to truly seeking God. There's a word out there that I think needs to be a word we choose, and that is extreme. We have extreme snowboarding, extreme makeovers, extreme everything. But we need to get back to extreme Christianity. And I'm not talking about works-based. I'm talking about people who are hungry for more of God. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of playing church. Amen. And that's why I so appreciate this church and a friend of mine, also Jack Hibbs, and the churches that are remaining open. There's a cost. We've lost people. We've received the emails, and the uh, people are upset and spreading this, and they don't understand it's the passion and boldness of Christ that compels us to do these things. It's not a spirit of rebellion, it's a brokenness and wanting to serve our master at any cost. And I keep meditating also on what Leonard Ravenhill said many years ago. You should read anything from him. He said, we need more prophets in our pulpits and less puppets. We need men filled with the spirit of God. There's a cost. And reading these books on revival, I love these books. You can read about awakenings and revivals, and they happen in different nations. Our own country, the first great awakening, the second great awakening in Welsh. And every time I read these books, there's prayer and there's fasting before God. There, and John Wesley wrote, it was three in the morning. We were all in one accord praying and seeking God, and the Spirit of God fell on that place. And there was joy and, and tremendous revival spirit breaking out. And then Duncan Campbell, same thing, same thing, same thing. But we've got to get to that place of, of prayer and brokenness and to be hungry and desperate for more of God. See, we can't whip revival up. Revival is not a person speaking or having an event. Let's have a revival conference. Revival is when God mightily visits his people because they have prepared the soil of their heart. They're saying, God, we are thirsty. We are hungry. God, we are desperate for more. Would you come down, Lord, rent the heavens. I love that scripture. That word in the Hebrew is to rip the heavens open and pour down a mighty outfilling of your spirit. 
And we need that today like never before. That is our only hope. Let me be crystal clear on this. There is no other hope other than God reviving his church and bringing a sense of awakening and changing our nation from the inside out. We have a heart problem. So that's, I wanted to just, Pastor Robin invited me to just really want to be an exhortation to encourage you that there is hope. Always in the darkest hour, that's where that light shines the brightest. Always, if you look back even American history, that you would read something from 1778, the bars and drunkenness and addiction and, and the churches are, there's no zeal. And you, it reads like it's America today. And then God would bring an awakening as a result of hungry people crying out for God. And that's what fasting is. Fasting is, I don't love, God doesn't love me more. I love him more because I'm so desperate. Oh God, I need to meet you. I need to find you. My passion for the things of God outweighs my passion for food and hunger. And I'll close with the story I told Pastor Rob yesterday as well. It's actually a story. It's an analogy. If any of you have children, what would you do if you lost that child in the mall? Would you run to the restroom? Well, let's go, let's go have lunch first, and then we'll look for them. Of course not. Why? That desire to find your child is your all-consuming passion. When that turn, when your passion, when that parallels your passion with God, that's when awakening revival happens, and it's personal revival. We change the nation, quite frankly, by looking in the mirror. So I just want to thank you guys for even giving me this opportunity to encourage, and, and just want to encourage you that, that in, the, in the darkest times, and it does look bleak, God will awaken his church if we prepare the soil of our hearts. Thank you. We have printed out a copy of his latest article. You can get it on your way out, and I, I really encourage you to read it. I was blessed by it, and I, I know you will be as well. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 21, and then hold your place there, and also Exodus 30, Matthew 21. Exodus 30. Uh, the folks walking down the aisles will give you a Bible if you don't have one. Just raise your hand. They'll give it to you. You can keep it if you don't own one. Matthew 21, Exodus 30. There we go. Now, um, I'm, I'm at a point where I'm, I'm kind of done with texts and emails and Folks reaching out saying, what do I do? And, you know, give me direction. I didn't sign up for that. I'm, I'm not a cosmic genie who has the answers for you. The Lord does. He's far more accessible than I am. I, I have many unanswered texts. I'd like to get to all of them. But the Lord is always available. And I'm like you. I have tried everything, trying to come up with a solution and to figure this out. And everything that is applied seems to be crushed. And you go through seasons of depression, but you gotta muster up some motivation and excitement because you're gonna be in front of people every Sunday. And you, you dig deep, you inquire of the Lord, his word refreshes you. And, and the more I thought about it, the, the blessing that came to me from Shane was I know what the Lord's called me to. And 
The most I've ever fasted is 15 days. If you go into a fast because you want to lose weight or, you know, you're, if God's not calling you into a fast, it's, it's just, it's just a, an extended period of time where all you do is think about food. <laughs> but when the Lord calls you, he sustains you and you go deep. And I've, I've been in those seasons and I know he's calling me into one. And the reason why is because we are now at a state in our nation and the world where unless there's an awakening and a revival in the church, we are at a critical juncture. This is so important. It's fitting as all of these events are coming to this week. For us, it all started as we came under the radar and we were targeted when we defied the governor and opened the church a year ago come Sunday, uh, next Sunday. And it's fitting that it was Palm Sunday when we participated in communion, a sacrament during our Holy Week when the governor declared the church non-essential. We love to sing and worship the Lord in churches across America prior to the governor's declaration and other governors throughout the country worshiped and they sang. They had vibrant ministries that were then relegated to a camera in an empty sanctuary and separation from the communion elements. And as we participated, the greatest pushback we received was from shepherds themselves, saying that we were a detriment to the gospel, that we were killing people. We didn't do it brazenly or arrogantly or ignorantly. We did our homework. We knew the severity of the virus. We watched the data. And yet, now that we know far more, we're still watching churches that remain shuttered. They said that we didn't love our neighbor. And I got frustrated by that. They proclaimed Romans 13 that we were in violation of not submitting to the authorities. And I was burdened by that. I was burdened by their ignorance. Romans 13 in no way, shape, or form declares unlimited submission to tyranny. Never has and never will. Authority is there for our good. When they cease to do good, they're no longer the authority. God gives them that mantle to do good. And to quarantine the abused with their abusers is not good. To keep children out of school for a year is not good. To declare the church non-essential in violation of the First Amendment is not good. And so their authority is no longer that which I honor. I'm willing to take whatever they want to levy against us. I'll render unto Caesars what is Caesars. They'll never see a dime of the money of the fine. I would just assume see the inside of a prison cell before they see a dime of that money. Yeah. And as I say that, that's not arrogant. The reality is I'm willing to stand for the bride of Christ. I've been married 31 years, as you know, come April 21st. You have the audacity to tell me that my wife is non-essential. I've said it before. You'll be picking up your teeth with your broken arm. 
as shepherds of the bride of Christ, why do we bow to tyranny? When they would declare abortion clinics that rip children limb from limb and flush their parts into the sewage systems of our nation essential, but the church non-essential, when we faced in the last 12 months the highest number of opioid deaths ever recorded in American history. Where are the shepherds in defiance to a tyranny that would enslave mankind who has been created in the image of God and he's come to set the captives free? They should be the ones standing. And come Resurrection Sunday, which will be the one-year anniversary of that April 4th defiance, well, I should say defiantly obedient, defiance that tyranny is obedience to God, I am so thrilled that the one-year anniversary doesn't fall on Palm Sunday now falls on Resurrection Sunday and the church is about to come alive and resurrect. So, amen. As I was contemplating Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Christ, and they call it Palm Sunday because they laid down branches of trees and the trees that were prevalent were palm trees and they laid them down and they welcomed the king. As he came into Jerusalem, they had expectations. We'll cover it momentarily. But I've also been enjoying, as Pastor Rick was so brilliant, to put together a two-year study through the scriptures called The Anchor, or Anchor, or Anchor, excuse me, and he's been teaching out of the New Testament side, and I've been teaching out of the Old Testament, and I have been captivated by the study of Exodus. And one thing in particular that has captivated me that'll tie into the message today is in Exodus 30, which I'll have you read in a moment, but there's a term that kept ruminating in my mind. I couldn't get it out of my mind, and it was called the Ark of the Testimony. The Ark of the Testimony. Another way to, to describe it, and it was also used in the scriptures, the Ark of Agreement. And in this Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant, were the, the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments given by God, this moral law that was placed in the center of a community of previous slaves who had been set free, and they lived together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they had moral law. They realized that, that, that the Lord was king. His authority was greater than man's. And they flourished. And they placed that in the ark along with Aaron's rod that was established when there was rebellion as to the authority of God or we should serve man. And Aaron's rod declared that. And then the manna, which is God's provision, was also placed in the ark. And then the lid was put on, and that's the mercy seat with the two cherubim, the angels, and between their wings in the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God was. It was a fire by night and a pillar of, of smoke by day and God resided there and people would inquire at the altar of incense and incense is a depiction and a very clear picture of prayer. God created this so people could meet with him. And we've been so busy talking to one another and looking at our electronic devices and our heads have been down and we haven't been looking up and we haven't been praying, we haven't been seeking him. We're not hungry enough for him. We've been yielding to another God. You say, no, pastor, no, I haven't. We all have. Yes, we have. Each of us have bowed our knee to micro-tyranny every day. We have come to a place where they tell us that you can't do this or you can't do that, and you know it has no scientific bearing. You know that it is a power grab, and yet we play their games and we submit. And you know where that is for you, and I know where it is for me. My biggest struggle is wearing that stupid mask on an airplane. 
Now, now for some of you, you're wearing a mask, I understand that because you, you have comorbidities and this is critical and I'm not, I'm, I'm not belittling you. I'm saying for the lion's share of all of us, you wear your mask because it protects you. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I'm okay. And the government's authority ends where my skin begins. I'm not pro-vax or anti-vax, I'm pro-liberty. Yeah, well, you, you agree, four of you do. Eight. And now they're doing two classes of citizens, those who are vaccinated and those who are not, and we've gone through that, and I was taken off YouTube, and the governor said we could only speak through uh, video on live stream, and now they censor that, which is, and by the way, censorship as a result, as we've covered, is, it, is you, your ideas are so bad, you don't want them challenged. And you can only implement propaganda when you've applied censorship. And you control the airwaves. As David Barton said, as he came here, 70,000 people have been removed from social media because their views are no longer acceptable in America. Our children are being indoctrinated, and, and we're at a critical juncture where the schools have been over, overcome, media has been overcome, higher education has been overcome, government's been overcome. Our military is now woke. All, all of our sports have been dominated. Nike's now putting out satanic shoes. And as Shane shared, I thought, you know, it, it boils down to one simple thing. And this is the question as we come into Palm Sunday. They all yelled, Hosanna. They all called him king. But the question is, for all of us today, who is in charge? And you'll know that by who you obey. And if the earthly authority is in conflict with heavenly authority, who do you obey? It'll come at a cost. It's going to come at a great cost. You'll lose friends, popularity, social status, property, freedom. And that's the price of liberty. Paul said, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. He wrote that in prison. And I share that because as we look at the triumphal entry and we see in Exodus 30 this arc of the testimony, this moral law, that this is where people would come to meet with God. And it was done through the incense of prayer. That you would recognize his moral authority, you would yield to him and you would come and inquire, God, what do you desire of me? You're the king. Your moral law will result in civic law. My life will be affected by everything you declare and command me to do. And so with that, that's my long introductions that you've become accustomed to. Let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. I'll begin with Matthew 21. Verse one. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into a village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. It's kind of like Star Wars. These are not the droids you're looking for. Some of you know that. Verse four, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went, did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set, them, set him on them. 
And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches, that's the palm. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went out before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means God saves. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. It's like an earthquake. It's shaking. Saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought, bought and sold in the temple, that temple where the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of Agreement existed. He drove out those in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves and said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, thus the incense, remember. But you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what the, these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Exodus 30, verse one. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. It gives the size and then you drop down to verse three and it shall overlay its top, meaning gold, its sides all around its horns with pure gold and you shall make it for a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding and then you have poles that go through it. Verse five, you shall make the poles of acacia wood and you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn uh, on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. And a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it or burnt offering or grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year you shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. God, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We thank you for the ark of the testimony. There in the holy of holies as Jesus would enter into that same temple and turn over the tables of the money changers and cleanse that temple and bring it back to what Aaron had worked so diligently on that it would be a house of prayer where that incense would rise to the nostrils of you, Lord, that sweet fragrance of obedience to your commands, this ark of agreement. And God, you gave us rules as we live on your earth and with those rules will come a blessing. But if we disobey you, Lord, with that will come a curse. And God, we're in a day and age where we're struggling as a people and our nation is troubled. And God, you've called us back to a place of prayer. You've called us to cleanse the temple. You've called us as a people to return to you. And so, Lord, please, I pray that as we would study these passages, that you, Holy Spirit, would lead us into all truth and minister to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have a seat. Take a load off. Deuteronomy declares what is entailed in this ark of agreement in this ark of testimony, these 10 commandments, the first four is our relationship with God, you shall have no other gods before me. We've covered that with who do we serve? 
who is our king. And then the second six commandments is our relationship with each other. We don't steal. We don't bear false witness. We don't covet. Right? We don't commit adultery. We don't murder. We have responsibilities. That's a moral law. From that moral law will come civic law. How we operate and live together in a government. Politics, the highest form of community. It combines morality with sociability. When God is the moral authority and he is the king and all men operate in that capacity and those who govern, govern by our consent, but the king is the Lord. We have a constitutional republic established in the wilderness when Jethro said to Moses, appoint godly men who are not covetous over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. There you had a representative, a republic form of government, and then you had a constitution. We have a constitutional republic. You had the representative republic form of government, and then you had a constitution, which is a Roman cognate for statute. That statute was the Decalogue. Those two together combined for a government that would allow people to live together for 40 years without a police force or a standing army because they had moral law that translated into civil law that allowed people to live together without having to lock their doors. And God said, when you do this and you obey me, you will be breathing my air, living on my dirt, eating my food, drinking my water. You'll be living by my rules. But my rules are not capricious. My rules are good. If you obey them, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll have problems. He laid this out in Deuteronomy 28 when he said, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, this agreement, this decalogue, this ark of the testimony, which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth. 244 years, America has had a standing in the world that no other nation has ever equaled. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be in the fruit of your body and the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks as we're watching gas prices go up, supply change diminishes, um, meat supply dwindling, debt increasing, production decreasing, inflation increasing, unemployment increasing. Blessed shall be the basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and they will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouse and in all which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God, this ark of agreement then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods and the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestocks. And then he says, the Lord will open to you his good and treasure and goods and treasure and the heavens to give the rain on your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Pausing for emphasis. And the Lord will make you, oh, by the way, you get a $1,500 check that only cost you, what, $25,000 per person? That's really, that's amazing how they did that. I, government's such an efficient organization. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only and not be beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. You shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left, 
and going after other gods to serve them. And so God lays out all of these bountiful blessings that are just beyond. And then he says later that the curses will come, that if you don't obey, you will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. He goes on to say that you will struggle as a nation. You'll become enslaved. And then he says this, which is telling. In verse 46, he says, then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. And the ultimate disgrace of a disobedience to God is found in the chapter when he says the Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on journey. I said, you uh, should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female servants, but no one will buy you. The idea is in the passages that if you honor God, you flourish, and if you don't, you perish. And the nation is in a troubled position. Our womb is not fruitful. We have torn apart limb by limb 70 million babies and flushed them into the sewer systems of our nation. We have the highest debt we've ever accumulated in 244 years of our history. Our army and military are woke. We have revisionist history. We no longer declare two genders. We cancel people. We no longer have freedom of speech. Freedom of religion is being challenged. The ability to peaceably assemble, you're called insurrectionists. The press is now purchased and no longer effective. And the church is silent. We no longer pray. The quickest way to bring a church to a manageable size is to host a prayer meeting. We're not desperate. But we're people and we're fickle. And I'm just like you. You go through seasons where you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then you find yourself bowing to the tyranny of earthly authority. You allow yourself to be enslaved. They, they would make a directive or an edict from Sacramento that would say the virus is only effective four feet and above, and now we have to crawl. And we could probably get all Californians to crawl. We've been able to say it's science that the the virus has a watch, a wristwatch like I possess that it knows 10 o'clock at night and five in the morning as they place a curfew upon the citizenry. It distinguishes be, between elite and the impoverished as the governor can sit shoulder to shoulder, no mask with the health director of the state eating a lavish meal at taxpayer's expense knowing he won't incur, incur the virus because it doesn't affect apparently the elite because it's science. And his appetizer plate is the same price as a welfare check that they've failed to give to Californians as they've taken their businesses and shuttered them. And we bow. We bow to the tyranny. And it all occurred a year ago, come Resurrection Sunday, when the governor declared that the church was not essential. The Sunday before, we worshiped via the television. A year before that, 
we had concerts in Hillsong, and I remember going to a Hillsong concert. I'd been given tickets, and I thought I'd love to see them in concert. Their music's amazing. I went to the concert. I was amazed that the concert smelled the same as the Bruce Springsteen concert I went to as a young man. I thought, is this worship? What is worship? Worship is yieldedness. The Bible said the Syrophoenician woman with the demon-possessed daughter worshiped the Lord without music. Three words, Lord, help me. Worship is your hands up and surrender. God, I have no one but you. Are we that desperate? Has worship become a comfort Music that takes us to a different place for a season, just like any song on the radio, where we're able to disconnect from the intensity, but not bow or bend our knee to the sovereignty. And I thought, it's all encapsulated in Palm Sunday. Jesus fulfills all the messianic prophecies, rides into town, and the crowds go crazy. When it says that he shook the city, it was, it was as though an earthquake had hit the city. Jesus rode into town. B.B. King, when love comes to town. He came to town. Up to this point, his public ministry was somewhat quiet. He slipped in and out of public places. He told people not to tell them who he was. But this time he rides in and they receive him as a king. They respond to him fascinatingly enough as you see here in the passage. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them, bring them to me and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. And they, these guys do it. They're like, they, they don't ask any more questions. They don't ask for more specifics. They don't ask what's in it for me. They just do it. They don't ask for reason or instruction. They just don't, simply obeyed. They did as instructed. They didn't challenge the Lord. They just did it. These same disciples would later abandon the Lord, but at this moment, they obey him. And I want you to know that this is a critical day, this Palm Sunday, because this is the day where all of us prepare for a resurrection. This is a day where we will face our Good Friday. Good Friday is the crucifixion. Why do we say it's good? Because it set us free. Christ has come to set the captives free. There are two authorities. There is man and there is God. Choose this day whom you will serve. Christ rides into town. They want him to become the earthly authority. They begin to declare he will deliver us from the oppression of Rome. Rome had its, its proverbial knee on the neck of Israel. They wanted to be set free from that. And when the Lord rode into town, they thought there would be a revolution. And the Lord rode in and he addressed the true tyrant, the human heart. You see, each of us has to decide who is king. And it will come at a cost. The earthly authorities will be indignant and angry. And they will kill you. 
They will arrest you. They will fine you. They will cancel you. They will mock you. They will unfriend you. It'll come at a cost. But all the Lord asks of you is obedience. And fascinatingly enough, that obedience to that ark of agreement, that ark of testimony, that obedience will result in your benefit and that for your family. I love what Victor Mark said. I, actually, he didn't say it, his wife did. When they realized that the cost of obedience to do what they did and do would more than likely lead to the death of one or both of them, Victor Mark's wife said to Victor, I would rather be a widow than to be married to a coward. As a result, their family's blessed. My family's blessed. All my children walk with God. We all entered into this defiance in agreement as a family. I couldn't be more proud of my children, but more importantly, I couldn't be more moved and, and blessed by my wife. A congregation, when I went before the elders a year ago and told them that we'd be in defiance to these restraining orders, the elders, they had a fiduciary responsibility. They put it all on the line and they were in full agreement. The landlord was the same. He was in full agreement. I gave that property to the Lord a long time ago. He knows who is the authority. It's not man, it's God. All of you were in the same realm. And we defied the tyranny and obeyed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As a result, we've been fined every Sunday. Take it all. Render unto Caesars what is Caesars. You can have it. Take everything and leave me Jesus and I have everything I need. There's nothing you can threaten me with. He has taken away my fear. Now, th th let, me, let me be specific. I go through times of discouragement. I thought I figured out what I'm supposed to do and how God's gonna respond. And he's strange that way. He throws curveballs. And I'm thinking, Lord, I bought a pillow. If you don't get it, ask somebody next to you. But the Lord has shown me throughout, you don't need to understand me, you just need to obey me. Now go and loose that colt. But Lord, what if he says no? They didn't ask that question, they were obedient. God says, look, I'll answer your question, but can we get to a place where you can just trust me? I said it. Do you remember when I said that we were gonna go over to the other side and the storms came and you woke me up from the sleep that I so desperately needed and you thought you were all gonna die? But I told you we would go to the other side and I looked at you and I said, of you a little faith? And I said, peace be still. And literally, not only did I calm the winds, but I also calmed the waves. When I say it, I mean it. Now take me at my word. Go. The secret to a revival for all of us as we come to Resurrection Sunday and we see the Lord ride into town. We've laid our blankets on the colt and a colt is not a majestic animal. His feet were dragging. That's probably why the disciples put the blankets on top of the colt to raise him up a bit. They were the first ones to start to worship him. The people followed suit, laid down their cloth, and they began to lay down palm branches, thus Palm Sunday. He rides into town on Palm Sunday, and the people begin to worship, but he rides into town on this colt, 
And that cult was provided by obedience. So the first secret to revival as we come into Resurrection Sunday, if we're going to comprehend Palm Sunday, what God's doing in this church and the significance of this date and this anniversary as we're facing two authorities, man or God, a tyrant or the, that, the, the God who has come to set the captives free, who will you obey? And he rides into town on a donkey provided by obedience and the secret to revival is that it must be a response of obedience. God said it. We obey it. Then the people began to cry out. And you sang this today. I sang it. They said, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. God, be my savior. This idea of worship with your hands up is an international sign of surrender. God, I have no one but you. I can't figure this out. We have stage four cancer. It is systemic to our nation. I don't know what to do. I can't fig figure out politically how to resolve this. God, pour out your spirit. Lord, save us. I'm desperate. What a beautiful picture Shane described. You lose your child, you don't go eat. It becomes your, your all-encompassing passion. God, help us. Worship isn't singing. It's not melody and harmony, and it's not smoke, and it's not mirrors, and it's not guitar licks. It's three words, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. You don't go away and forget. You know that the help is found in the obedience. The help is found in the yieldedness to what he says I will do. He said even, it's not good that we, we give the children's bread to the little dogs. He said to the, to the Syrophoenician woman, she wasn't ashamed to be numbered with, with animals. Is a position God calls you to be beneath you? Lord, I'll lose my job if I obey you. So what? He's king. The woman said, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. Lord, I'm, I'm good with wherever you put me. You say it, I'll do it. Lord, help me. I have no one but you. And so they worshiped. They worshiped. They cried out to God, Hosanna. God saves. Yet we know the fickleness of a human heart because a few short days later they would be yelling, crucify him. People who would praise him would then spit upon him and cry for his death within a matter of days. We watched this on that Palm Sunday. The, the greatest detractors of what we did were pulpits across America who said we didn't love our neighbor. They were the ones that challenged and cursed. They would call me and plead with me, don't do this. You're ruining the gospel. You're not loving your neighbor. We didn't do it arrogantly. We didn't do it ignorantly. We knew the numbers. 
I said, we love our neighbor. It's you that needs to examine. Do you love your neighbor? What we're doing is coming at a cost. For you, you still get to keep your popularity. And they would cry out to respond in worship to the Lord. And the response for revival is worship. But not singing. Surrender. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I have no one but you. Lord, help me. Help our nation. Lord, I'm desperate. This is, this is my only passion, is you. Because the reason why I emphasize worship is not music, although it's precious, and I, I, I love the music, and I love the, God, the gift God's given, and, and I, I believe that our, our worship team is uniquely gifted to not make it entertainment, Music is okay, but just like a song on the radio, it can take you away for a moment, but it, it still brings you back to a place of obedience. Lord, help me. Desperation. You can sing and not worship. Not everyone who sings the praises of Christ will be a follower of Christ when the crowd goes a different direction. Hillsong is imploded. Critical race theories embrace them. Popularity. You see, they have come to a place where Christ is not everything. Popularity is more critical than obedience to the Lord. The same people who worshipped him and said, Hosanna, save us. They wanted to be saved from a government entity. They wanted, they wanted freedom without having to pay the price. They want freedom without responsibility. We all want freedom without responsibility. Just ask any teenager. But God says, if and then... If you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do this, then I will do this. It's the laws of nature and nature's God. If you break the law, the law will break you. We're in this mess because we've abandoned the if and the then of the ark of agreement and the ark of testimony. We no longer access him by prayer. We would rather do a thousand things than cry out to him and worship him and obey him. We stand idly by as we submit to tyranny, as I've said countless times, the limbs of these children are being ripped apart and flushed into the sewer systems of our nation as we watch as they rewrite the gender, as they rewrite history, as they dismiss science and the freedom to speak, and they, they enslave. We become fearful of their tyranny. We're not desperate for God, and nor are we obedient. And so we tend to cry with the crowd, crucify him, so that no one knows that we are counted in the number. And many did, and, and the disciples were as guilty as all of us are. They fled from the Lord. We'll all fail. I'm more than you. That's why God put me here. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise, the weak. It's like God puts me here so you can look and say, well, if he can do it, anyone can. 
No, it's true. We, we've, we've, we've turned ministry into an occult of personality. I'm actually grateful YouTube took us off the air. I, I, I don't want us to run after popularity. I joke with, with Shane that the two of us have this gift of preaching a church down to a manageable size because it's, the, the truth is the truth. You're supposed to speak it in love, but I, I often think, well, speaking the truth in love is speaking the truth. That's not very loving. Well, then you don't understand love. Yeah, you can see it just doesn't work. It's problematic. But the Lord wants us to stand upon his precepts. And as we stand, the world has taken notice. In the passage it says, and when he had come into, the, into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? They were moved. It means earthquake. The city shook. Love came to town. And people were worshiping him. They said, who is this? The whole city is worshiping this man. And many had agendas for the Lord. You do this and I'll do that. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> That's not how it works. There is a God. You're not him. Oh, I struggle with uh, naming him. Again, you're not God. Get your own universe if you don't like the gender. Fulfill the prophecies as he did. Maybe we'll worship you if that's what you desire, but you are not the center of the universe, contrary to how all of us feel at times. We think the world revolves around us. Who is this? Many had agendas for the Lord that would later say crucify him because you didn't do what I said. Well, God's not a cosmic genie. God's not a cosmic genie. But what he does is good. You may not see it, you have to trust him. You may not understand it. If and then, it's the ark of agreement. And so they said, who is this? And, and the part of this revival is for all of you who are new here. You've never really darkened the doors of a church. You've come here maybe out of guilt or compulsion or someone compelled you, or maybe you're just wanting to come to a place where you can breathe oxygen. Welcome. But you are curious. Why are these people not afraid? Why is this place different? Well, it's because we love the Lord. He's taken away our fear and given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We're not afraid of tyrants. It's gone. It doesn't matter what they do to us. We say, Hosanna, he is our Lord. We will worship him. No one will stop us. They can do as they please, but they will only do what the Lord allows them to do. They're not in charge. God is. And you're here and you're curious, and I want you to know you come to the right place because the freedom you feel is because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Christ came for one reason, to set the captives free. You've been on the slave block of sin and tyranny and death. Christ left the glory of heaven's throne for the humiliation of an earthly cross because sin must be atoned for by the shedding of blood. The wages of sin is death. We're all on death row. We're all going to die eternally, but Christ came to pay that penalty that's why he came to the earth. He declared the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And in humility, he submitted 
and willingly yielded his life to die. Not because he submitted to the tyranny, but because he came to defeat the tyranny and to declare to all of you the path to freedom is the cross. You die to your ego and to your flesh and to your authority and your fear and you submit that to the authority of God. And when you entrust your life to Christ and his word, you'll know that truth and that truth will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the only way to heaven. I and no other, it's exclusive. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the bread of life. I, 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 I'm the water of life. You'll, you'll drink from me and you'll never thirst again. I will, I will deal with that depression and that emptiness because like Blaise Pascal, the famous French philosopher said, every man is created with a God-shaped void. You're, you're, you're a trichotomy, you're a three-part being. You, you've been created in the image of God and you're, you're struggling and, and now you're starting to awaken. That God wants to reconcile you to himself. That's where you get the word religion. It's called relongari in the Latin. It means to relink, reconnect. Christ has spanned the chasm of your sin and a holy God by the cross as he paid the penalty and you've been reconnected by, by his sacrifice that you receive by faith. Lord, help me and he will. He says, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. If we're in agreement that you're a sinner and you want me to be your savior, I will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life and you'll be re-lungar, you'll be reconnected, relinked to your creator. That curiosity, that's powerful. Who is this? You see, for revival to occur for all of you, there needs to be that response of curiosity. That's a good thing. They said that he was a prophet. He was from Nazareth. But what they didn't say is that he's the Messiah. He's fulfilled all the messianic prophecies. He's come to set you free. He's, he's come to pay the price. He's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world who is without sin, fully tempted, and he is your life saver. He is your lifeguard. He is the one that's come to save you as you're drowning in your sin. He's come to set you free. And so they say, who is this? And the response is curiosity. But know this, he will only save you when you recognize him as your savior. And he can't just be savior, he must be Lord. That requires obedience and worship. And when he does this, he's going to come into your life and he's gonna wreck you. All this meek, mild Jesus who was born in a manger He's gonna come in and he is going to fashion a cord of whip, uh, a whip of cords. And he's gonna turn over everything in your life that stands in the way of communion with him. He's going to come into the temple of your heart and he wants to make it a place of prayer and communion with God the Father. And he's going to remove from your life all of your pursuits of personal gain and exploitation of vulnerable people. He's gonna turn over all the misuse and the things that you've done. It'll almost seem as though it's a violent act. He's gonna cleanse you of personal ambition, passions. He's gonna take away these false gods. 
He'll overturn the money tables, the thing you worship. He'll exchange it for the lesser things of the world, the things that people despise. He comes out to cleanse you and drive out all that would rob you of a place of prayer and communion with the Father. That's the purpose of cleansing. You have a wound that's infected and pustule and the Lord cleanses it. God doesn't want so much as the soul of your shoe to get in the way of a relationship with him. That's why he said to Joshua, take off your shoes for the ground upon which you stand is holy. What are those things that preoccupy you that you don't have time to come into that altar of incense that your prayers would rise to the nostrils of God? What is it in that arc of testimony and agreement that you disagree with that hinders you from obeying him and worshiping him and being wholly dependent upon him? What is it that you think you're in control of? What is it that you think you run? What part of your life did you make, you self-made man or woman? This is revival. He wrecks you. It's frightening. We realize how little we depend upon him because our depression hits when the political tides turn. Things don't go our way. We give up hope. We're only left to realize We've been playing Christian a long time. We call the pastor and ask him for help because we're unfamiliar to the altar of incense of prayer. We want a solution because we're not dependent and desperate. We want to figure out an earthly way where we can still submit to the earthly authority and bow to the tyranny. And we want the freedom without the responsibility And God says, the tyrant is you. And when I say you, I mean me too. Who is the authority of your life? Will you bow to the tyrant who enslaves? Or will you allow the Lord to cleanse the temple and take away the hypocrisy and the fear. Lord, if I do this, I will lose possessions and position. No, you won't. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. If you have me, you need nothing else. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, the Lord says. David said, I have been young and I have been old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. The Lord will set you free. And then finally, Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of money changers of seats. He said, my father's house will be called a house of prayer. And so the response is cleansing. But then you see these angry authorities, these earthly authorities They see that lives are touched, that you're set free, that there's joy, you're smiling, your health is unbelievable. 
Your mental health is strengthened because there's immunity in community and we're watching as our lives are being set free and we're, we're finding absolute blessing and the authorities are indignant to you. They're angry. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Christ had done and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to, to the son of David, they were indignant. They're angry that you're not submitting to them. They're angry, they're indignant. And I want you to know that revival will come with opposition. Who cares? Disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. And I close with this. We're coming up to Resurrection Sunday. He's going to be crucified on Good Friday. They will scatter. Those who said Hosanna will say crucify him. Where will you find your authority? Because it will not be popular to be a follower of Christ come Good Friday. And come Resurrection Sunday, it will not be popular. And if you truly want to obey him, it will come at a cost. And you must choose this day whom you will serve if we are to see revival. The tyrant is not in Sacramento. The tyrant is in our heart. And today we decide. And we'll do that by obedience and by worship, by cleansing and submission. There will be opposition. But there's nothing to be afraid of. This is a wonderful time to be alive. And it's never been more clear what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And I'm looking at a room full of them. And I'm honored to be your pastor. And let's stand and worship the Lord. Would you join with me? God bless you guys. Lord, we thank you for this Palm Sunday. We do declare Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We abandon tyranny, we obey the king of kings. Disobedience to tyrants is obedience to God. You've come to set the captives free. It's not unlimited submission on this earth. We're to obey authorities appointed by God. They're there for our good, but when they seek to come and enslave and destroy, they are no longer good and they are thus no longer the authority. We do not disobey for light or transient causes. We don't do this out of arrogance or ignorance. We have done our homework, Lord. We appeal to heaven. We worship you. Lord, help us. We are here to obey you. We are here to worship you. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we have come to yield and we know there will be opposition. But Lord, we, whom do we have but you? You are our only hope. We're desperate. We love you. And so today we worship you come Resurrection Sunday. We are your obedient disciples. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.